Hey guys, Anna Victoria here, and I'm so excited for you to join me on my podcast, Your Best Life. I'm the CEO and founder of the FitBody app, a fitness influencer, and a personal trainer. Every week, I'm going to have a special guest that will share their unique experience and unique story to share how they learned how to live their best life, even if they're still working on it, since we are all a work in progress. I can't wait to help you learn how to create your best life. Hi guys, Anna Victoria here. Welcome back to Your Best Life podcast. Today, my guest is Jen Wiedersham, who is an athlete, fitness coach, entrepreneur, and author of Diet Right for Your Personality Type. She was a coach on The Biggest Loser and Phoenix in American Gladiators. She also coaches people to achieve their fitness goals through strong habits and mindful accountability. And I have with me my husband, Luca, to chat about today's episode with Jen. Hi, guys. <laughs> so Jen is actually someone that I met, what was it, three years ago? At the Shape Body yeah, Shop event. Yeah, the Shape right? Body Shop event. And she's someone that like I knew of because she's you know in the fitness industry and she was on The Biggest Loser and all this stuff. And she was just so welcoming. And I don't think I've ever met someone that is more happy to help you and to just be a friend yeah, in the she's industry. A she's, she's a, a wonderful great person. person yeah. yeah. So um, so we're going to dive into talking about her background and kind of what led her to being on The Biggest Loser and being such a you know figure in the fitness industry. But more than that, I really am excited about diving into kind of her upbringing and how that has affected her mental well-being with being in the fitness industry. And I think that this is something that whether you are in the fitness industry or not, we all have some sort of experience with food, nutrition, and working out, and that has impacted us and our mental well-being in one way or another. I'm really excited to dive in this with you guys, and here's my interview with Jen Wiederstrom. All right. Hi, Jen. How are you? Hi, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for coming on. I'm so excited to chat. Um, Do you want to start by just uh, sharing with our listeners who you are and what you do? Oh, man. This is like the hardest (laughs) question for every human being. Okay. I agree. Uh, Well, my name's Jen Wiederstrom. The real short list is that I'm just a kid out of Chicago who, (laughs) you know, believes in teamwork and and trying your best. But uh, Ultimately, uh, I kind of accidentally fell into coaching and training and um, through that started to realize how uh, movement and um, and nutrition and health really was the gateway drug to the bigger kind of rocks we help people move in their lives. And so I started to quickly fall in love with group classes, training, and then found myself doing expert work for men's and women's health back when there was like DVDs and I was doing <laughs> like workouts and ultimately ended up uh, doing Biggest Loser for a couple of seasons that went wonderfully, wrote a book that also is a bestseller, Diet Right for Your Personality Type. And now it's honestly been this shift of trajectory where I've done tons of television and I love being the expert for like Dr. Oz and Kelly and Ryan, but it's really this pivot much like you, frankly, where you start to look at like What's the landscape of your life and what you care most about? And so now it's developing programming and systems and challenges and products that really assist in people's betterment um, from the inside out. So I guess that's my that's yeah. my commercial. Amazing. <laughs> Great job. Um, so 
your parents were into fitness, right? So you kind yeah. of grew up. Okay, so what, tell me a bit about like growing up and having parents that introduced you to the world of fitness. Cool. Yeah, so it's funny. My parents are actually older than most. My parents got married closer to 30, and so they didn't get pregnant to like 35, um, yeah. you know, 37. So, you know, my mom growing up in the 60s, like women in sport wasn't a thing. She was one of right. the first female PE teachers and coaches. Wow. And so movement was just always important in our house. My dad had like a weight set in the basement and there was like posters like Arnold and Franco wow. Colombo, but also just as many muscular women as like the men. Um, and so I remember I was always doing sports. My coaches were my coaches. I was doing extra workouts, you know, for my bar routine because I did gymnastics yeah. growing up. Uh-huh. And so my dad still claims my gymnastics was so good because his his weight workouts. I was like, sure, dad. Of course. Sure, dad. <laughs> sure, you can take it. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It, it started there. It was always – and even, I mean, like, listen, my brother's like 6'4 and, you know, 275, but they started him in gymnastics as well. We just knew movement and mm-hmm. what I I kind of – I call, like, physical literacy – like knowing where your body's at in space and that comfort, I think, has really paid off, even though clearly my brother did not become a gymnast. But, you know, it was important for all of us at a very early age. Right. So one thing that I, I find really interesting is um, when people grow up with parents that are conscious of fitness and conscious of nutrition, sometimes, I mean, um, you can let me know kind of if, if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes it can almost turn into, I don't want to say a negative, but it can become obsessive oh. where if they're so conscious of their body and their weight from such a young age, it can turn into disorders. And that, But that really, it, there, I feel like there's two factors that, I mean, sure, there's many more, but I think two big ones that stand out are A, how the parents present fitness and nutrition is one side. And then it's also how that individual manifests that information, you know? So, so how, how was, was that for you? Did you ever struggle with it or any kind of disorder? Man, I love how you're jumping into this. You know, there's no clear path, (laughs) Anna. I I, I will tell you, um, my parents, um, it wasn't about being fat or skinny. It was always about being healthy. Mm If I finished all my good food, or by the way, my mom cooked all of our meals, you know, my or my dad would help, you know, as well. Um, then I would get dessert. If there was too much ice cream in my bowl, my dad would say, that's too much ice cream. Scoop some out. It wasn't like, you're going to be fat. Take it out. It was like, it's too much ice cream. What are you thinking? You know? So it wasn't right. about that. And I actually okay. never identified myself as fat, skinny, or pretty or not pretty ever by my body until I got far out of college and started doing fitness modeling and then, and then that's when the number that the, I did a number on me. So that's, that's my oh. path. Like it was never about that. It was about oh. being strong and being capable. Um, frankly, my parents were, you know, post depression babies. So it was, do you have enough? Are you eating enough? And always making sure we were supported that way, but they were thoughtful about portion vegetables. Not a lot. We didn't get like, if I want to can, you know, Kentucky fried chicken, my mom's like, I'll make you fried chicken. You know, so yeah, we didn't, we would right. get fast food sometimes. I would get soda on the weekends. So there was a conscious thought. I will tell you though, on the other side, and I've coached a lot of, a lot of people in my day, I have seen, and I don't know if it's because I was in Los Angeles. I think there's a lot more pressure image yeah. around. It's a different world. Dude, hair, LA. skin, nail. Like yeah. I've, I, I never thought about, I didn't know what Botox was. And I was like, <laughs> what? A, oh, tell me what, you know, I thought it was a candy. I did not know what people oh, were talking yeah. about. And I would, I have seen like a lot of my coaching with, with these moms in being in their best shape. 
um, really trickled down to especially the, their daughters, but also their sons of, because the girls they would be like, I just want to look like you. or I, And then the moms would be, you know, in the mirror getting ready, uh, criticizing themselves and the daughters and sons would pick up on it. And that was part of like, that's not like, you know, we had to address that because them um, being so hard on themselves was an immediate absorption to their children. So I'm not saying it's always that way. Uh, like I said, there's not a clear path, but I, I see so many variances. Yeah, I just, I, a lot of the girls that come to me, they say like, oh, I grew up with parents that were very into health and fitness. Um, and maybe, maybe they weren't into health and fitness, but they were just very conscious of their child's, you know, body and they, they made it a thing. And yeah. that is like one of the most destructive things that you can do mm -hmm. for a child that is going to set them up for just a lifetime of body image issues. Well, I mean, aren't we just kind of putting our insecurities on them? I mean, cause we know like, right. oh God, like as right. a grown woman, me, if I have a bigger belly, it probably means I'm unhealthy or I'm eating some of the wrong foods or I'm not active enough or fill in the blank. But for a lot of young children, I mean, we can, I would love to get into the biomechanics of proper breathing and how we should be expanding our yeah. belly and having yes. this, this, this ability to like expand just like dogs or like, look at babies, like they all, their right. bellies hang, but that's the right, that's the right function. But what, what we have is what I call this like suck it in syndrome. You walk yeah. into a room, you walk, you take a photo, everyone sucks in. And so we're bracing our ability to breathe. So, I mean, right. which sets off in a multitude of other issues. So we've got the belly breathing that we're making go away. And then they're worried about like what is truly baby fat, healthy portions of fat for growth, for your brain. And yet they're thinking at five years old, you know, oh my gosh. changing what they want to eat. So I yeah, I know it's, yeah. it, and I'm not even a parent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I'm pregnant right now, you know, and Ooh, I'm like just saying, yeah, finally. <laughs> Thank you. Long road to get here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something that like I'm personally like wanting to be conscious of. Like, I also think to myself, like, you know, being in the fitness industry. Um, well, actually, let's let's rewind before I was ever in the fitness industry. Like I did not have one ounce of body image issues. And mm -hmm. I wonder why, like I've never had any slight kind of disordered eating, if not the opposite. I'm like, give me all the food, but I don't binge. It's just, I love food and I don't liken it to my worth or anything like that. And I've really thought like, because of getting in the fitness industry and seeing how prevalent body image issues are and how it is the vast majority of women that struggle with it, I'm like, why, why do I not have these issues? Mm -hmm. And I mean, the only thing that I can think of is like, I was raised by a single father my mm -hmm. mom moved away when I was 10 for work and no one ever made one comment on my body. Mm -hmm. Never, never, ever, ever. And I, I like this. I feel like that's definitely oversimplifying why well, I haven't had issues. But, you know, I just experience. think that it's yeah, I just think it's such an important key. Um, and so as I am about to have my first child and yeah. we don't know if it's a boy or a girl okay. yet and, and either either way, it's not that girls are the only ones that are susceptible to body image issues like men absolutely are just as susceptible. And I think that they even like don't get the same amount of attention or help because people just think like, oh, a guy can just suck it up, not deal with it. But anyways, you know, it's just it's something that I, I, I really love discussing with other people in the industry and people that aren't that have had these real life issues because, you know, these experiences with their with their parents. So, so I, anyways, have a, I have a question for yeah. you then real quickly. So Mm -hmm. I love that you're already conscious of that environment because, and I don't think you're oversimplifying at all, Anna. I think that you're sharing an experience that really worked for you. And I, and I, 
you know, praise your praise to your dad for, you know, really allowing you to um, feel un you know, unrestricted uh, in so many ways. But how you you and Luca can control your home, your dialogue, your parenting. Do you have concerns about how your child will grow with the influence of others, whether it's friends or other parents commentating? Like, I, I mean, I think that's like my anxiety and I don't want to give that to you if that's not yours. But like, no, how, how no, because you, you can't control everything. It's like saying, how do you keep your baby yep. safe from car accidents? Like, well, you can't like right. things are going to happen. But I just was wondering if you guys have talked yeah. about that. It's such a fair question. And one million percent. Yes, especially in the day and age of social media. Who knows where it's going to be in 10 years? But I don't think it's going to go back to the way it was before, know. you know, and like my my niece is 10 years old. I have an eight year old niece and I, I'm concerned about them and like the impact of society and social media and. And I mean, it definitely is a concern and I can't say how we're going to approach that because, you know, so much of our focus has just been on let's just get pregnant, <laughs> you know, up to now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 it absolutely is a concern. Um, I will say that I, I, I don't know, again, this is just my experience, but, and this is kind of going a bit away from fitness, but my dad always raised me and just like, like shouted from the rooftop how much he loved me and yeah. he gave me a lot of love and I really feel like that like as a young female you know they say that like females really gravitate towards the fathers and males really gravitate towards sure. like the the mothers and and like my brother for example he was really um impacted by my mom moving away mm. you know I I was of course she's my mother but I feel like because I had that my father you know like it really he always like just spammed me with love to the point where I was like, okay, dad, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. And I I do I do feel like that gave me a layer of confidence underneath that no matter what society said or what anyone else said to me, I was really emboldened to just be confident in who I was. Mm. And so I just hope that, you Great know, I, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and not to say that only, only fathers can do that. There are single mothers that do an amazing job at playing both roles. Same with single fathers. Oh gosh. You know? Yeah. I mean, um, whatever your family unit or it's the family that you choose, I really think that that love bestowed yes. that's real does direct your sales as you start to go out into the world. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, great. So I would love to hear about your experience as a as a fitness professional, you, you said something a bit ago that you didn't really have any issues. Did you say until you got in the fitness industry? Yeah. yeah. So what's so funny is I had the same experience yeah. because growing up, I had no issues. Like even if I wasn't in the best shape, it was like, well, here I am, you know, like this is me. But when I did get in the fitness industry, then that's when it was like, oh my goodness, now my body is like, you know, I don't want to say being compared, but kind of, yeah, like people do. It wasn't me comparing. It was being conscious of the fact that other people are comparing. So uh, yeah. tell me a bit about your experience with that. You know, it's funny. I think because I did sports, movement was always tied to performance. So, I mean, and I, I, I felt like a pair of pants of mine. I think they were 12s. And I was like, I mean, I don't even have to unbutton them to get them on now. And I, I <laughs> feel like I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of big these days. You know, like I'm like. How am I big now? That the 12s were used to what I was used to wear and it didn't even affect me. I just thought these are my pants. But I was like functional. I had good muscle. I had healthy fat on my body. It was all working out. But it was when, you know, I started doing American Gladiators really and I was on television. And I will say, I, I think it's, a, it's human to create hierarchy, to create, oh, you're taller than me. Oh, you have darker hair than me. Oh, you have blue eyes. I don't, you know? So I think there's a, there's a, we categorize unconsciously or subconsciously. Yep. 
Uh, and I was doing it and because none of the women on Gladiators ever, I didn't feel pressure. Like if anything, they were like, we, they helped me like eat healthy. So I had fuel for the events, but then they're like, oh, Jen, you got to have a brownie. Like you're going to be, you, trust me, you, you know, and so they encouraged like a, that balance in that. But I, I saw myself and I remember like, I, it started when really more as I started to do more cover shoots. So Gladiators was good, but I, I but because it, it was still kind of tied to performance because I right. had games. But the moment it switched to more like fitness modeling, Biggest Loser. I mean, I remember I got the Biggest Loser and I was told that I was too muscular. And I was like, well, I'm a trainer. So that's good. Like they right. were like, you need to lose weight. And then like certain parts of filming, like my belly would would be hanging because I was frankly losing my voice so bad. I was, I was going to so have to get surgery because I was like sucking in my stomach and trying to yell like this on you know camera and being really motivated. Wow. But it was tr- shredding up my vocal cords. So I was learning to breathe. Like good friend, Belisa Vranich, she she came and retaught me how to breathe. And so my belly would hang and they're like, can you do something about that? And I've had photographers like, tell me, can you do something about your stomach? And I was just like, oh, I, my and I thought in the moment, just so you know, I was like totally a boss. I was like, please, dude. I'm like, this is healthy. Don't, don't worry about it. Like, you know, and I acted all yeah. tough. Let me tell you, I went back to my hotel room that night didn't eat, like tried to dehydrate, you know, tried to sweat. I mean, I just, I went all the unhealthy ways because regardless if I gave him the middle finger in the photo shoot thinking, I don't care what he says, I'm strong, I'm good. It still hit home. And it was just a layered approach over and over and over. And frankly, I think parts of it is, is subconscious. I mean, even with Biggest Loser, we'd we'd get a lot of sample dresses sent, like, so our weigh-ins or we'd have red carpets and they'd send zeros and twos. And I was like, Who's fitting? At first, it was funny, like, and it was a joke because you're sweating playing the try-on game. But then, after like a month of it, you really start to think, well, maybe I should just drop some muscle, like I was told, and maybe I should just eat a little less, and it will help me for the time being. And you don't realize that your normal becomes so below what you feel like it is. Like you, we get very calloused. We think, oh, I'm thinking positive. I'm strong. Before you know it, I'm down to a two-four, whereas I came into the show at a six-four. And I'm not that I don't have much energy. I don't want right. to work out. I'm fueled on caffeine and coffee. So I had that sugar high. And I and I just like you like, how did I Right. And a lot of people equate smaller to healthier or better. And like, you know, there's one conversation to be had in terms of I don't I don't want to say it's an an end all be all for health. Like there are some instances where, you know, losing some weight could equate to certain health benefits. But there is another point that it's like, how much is that hurting your mental health? Like, is that where you can live happily, comfortably? Is that worth dropping that weight or beating yourself up? And, you know, the bodies are are meant to look differently. Like, we shouldn't all be a size two, totally. you know? And so just kind of connecting, like, our experience of, like, being thrust into the spotlight and then becoming and having our our insecurities become a thing. I feel like your everyday person is almost going through the same thing because of social media in a way, you know, because Oh God. Yeah. Like everyone now, you know, thinks that, you know, they have to post their highlight reel or they're high or they're also or they're hiding. They're just not posting, you know, pictures of themselves. And have you noticed like with like your clients that, you know, has there been like such a strong link between um, 
their fitness journey and their body, um, their, I don't want to say just body confidence, but the lack thereof. Oh gosh. I, I, I just, I just feel like fitness yeah. is no longer, it's no longer an issue of just, are you working out now? Are you eating healthy? Like there's so much more to it. Yeah. Like fitness is no yeah. longer about being fit. You know what I mean? Like to me, if you're doing fitness right, it should take up right. the least amount of time in your day. It's because that. it's something you enjoy. It's because it's something that helps you think about things. Like I process a lot of my things under a barbell or moving weight, or sometimes it's like a walk around cardio. And for a long time, it was cause and effect. I need to do X in order to complete Y, but forever is a long time and you cannot sustain that. And I know I'm yeah. living proof of that. And I, I finally realized when I'm moving for capability, uh, I'm getting older, like I'm 37 now. I'm about to start actually broach the process of freezing Amazing. my eggs and going Yay. through my process. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just, and so for yeah. me, like my goal, thanks, son, but it was like, it's about health and fortifying my future with the choices that I make today. Like what I do at thir in my thirties will affect my fifties, sixties and beyond. And especially if I'm going to be a mother, like I I'm, I'm happy yeah. to have a baby in my forties. But that means my baby's going to be in their 20s when I'm in their 60s. And I, yeah. that's not, you know what I mean? And uh -huh. so I start to think about those things. And so I've actually kind of gotten my head out of the cloud and into my own reality of what is this really for? Like, I did not want to work out yesterday and I certainly did not want to train today. But what got me moving is like that how I feel when I'm that person moving and how I want my future to be. And yeah. the rest takes care of itself. Like, I don't mind leaving a piece <laughs> of pizza behind and I don't mind training, even if it's slower, like I, that that's to me. And so when it's something bigger, when it's about the bigger thing, I have found that it's not yeah. like it gets easier, right. but you will stick to it more. And that's, I think that's the yeah. misconception. And, and especially once it becomes a part of your daily routine, it's just clockwork. It's no longer like, oh, I have to go work out. It's, oh you know, God. this is what you're doing. And I love that you acknowledge and like pointed out that if you have, you know, kids in your forties, like you're going to be in your 60s yeah. when they're 20 and yeah. acknowledging the reality of that, you know, and that's fitness should really be about is about the longevity of yeah. your life and allowing you to to, you know, live yeah. without like, for example, like I don't talk about this a lot, but my dad is 65 years old and he's pretty much has the body of an 80 mm -hmm. 85 year old, you know, and oh. yeah. And it's just like because he oh. never took care of himself and he's still not. You know, it's just and and he's suffering those consequences. And I can't say he cares. <laughs> I yeah. wish he did. I've tried, you know, but and hey, to each their own. Yes, but just as it's someone's personal choice in their twenties, it's our dad my dad's seventy-five and I had the mm. come to Jesus moment with him. I said, Dad, you got five years with the wheels falling off, or you can have be here fifteen and be a part of my life and right. yours in a really good way. Like we had to we had to like we didn't argue, but it was like, hey, if you care. I'm on board. And if you don't, right. I'm on board, right. but it's really not what I want. If you know what I mean? Like I want my dad to be around. I want him to be healthy. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it, and that, and I think, I, I think again, uh, there's a, uh, it's important to demystify this false reality of that. Once you cross this line, like you're good. Like Anna's <laughs> got it under control now. Jen, psh, did you see that? Yeah. She, her picture, no problems in their lives. It's like, we're not posting highlights. We're, we're, you are actually one of the few people that post reality of like, today's a hard day or this is what my body's going through because it's, it doesn't necessarily get, like I said earlier, right. it doesn't really get easier. Um, I just know the, the way I'm making the choices comes from a different place and that's what sustains it. And I think you and I are trying to show people right. that it is a choice 
if right. they still have to choose it every day. It's not like you cross this finish line. I just think it's it's always benchmarks along the way. And as you we, you and I have seen in my our fathers, we're like, man, still going to be facing that right. uh, decision every day in, you know, 20, 30 years. You know, and sometimes every once in a while, I'm a little bit tired and a little bit too overworked and I cry a little because I think <laughs> I have to work out for 30 more oh years. My oh, my God. You know? And then I laugh at myself and I smile. I'm like, right. oh, that's a part of who I am. It's a part of the texture of my being and what it teaches things about myself. And as I said, working out, uh, you know, it's never about someone's waistline or about their fitness level. You know, there's always bigger mm-hmm. things in their life going on. And I think working out's a great teacher for that. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about your time on The Biggest Losers. So first of all, you replaced Jillian Michaels. How was that? Did you feel like you had really big shoes to fill? You know, it's weird. It was the, the backstory, which I've told a couple times, but like they, Jillian's left the show a couple times, you know, and I and I don't know the, the information surrounding the exits, but they brought me in three yeah. separate times to replace her. And that over like six years or five years. So this last time when I got it, it was funny. The first time I was like, oh my yeah. God, what am I doing here? How do I, you know, and the second time I didn't get it. It was like, I was always almost trying to emulate her attitude and her kind of persona in the audition. And I didn't get it again. And finally the third time I was like, I don't care. I don't need this job. Yeah. I know who I am. And I think that was the difference. They needed to see that I had... It wasn't about filling Jill shows. It was about bringing uh, what I had to the table. And, you know, thank God for Jill from the standpoint that she's exactly who she is. She is rough and tough and she is difficult many times. And uh, but she gave us all permission to be really who we were. So if I felt like crying on TV, I didn't hold back. You know, that was the gift of her to me. So um, uh, so it, it was interesting, though. You know, it was it was difficult to find a rhythm when there's so much pressure on the line. They've never had a female replacer that really was successful that lasted more than a season. So, you know, I had to really stick to my guns and what I knew and put my people first and just have to just trust that uh, if I did that, that the moments would be captured and the success would be uh, proof of the relationship of what we built on the show together, as well as what the contestants were able to find within right. themselves. Cause that's the real key. Like, this show was not about Jen Wiederstrom. This show right. is about those contestants. And I think that I understood that going in and that's yeah. why I was successful. Amazing. So I'm, I'm going to be honest and say that I never have seen an episode of The Biggest Loser. I will, <laughs> because when okay. I lived in the United States, so I started my fitness journey after I graduated college and I had moved to China and I was kind of all alone and in this crazy place. And that's kind of where I started my fitness journey. Um, because of those things. Yeah. And um, so, but prior to that, living in the United States, like I was the last person to care about anything health and fitness related. So I didn't even really discover that it was like a thing until, you know, like after that. Um, but, you know, I, I I did hear about a lot of like controversy with like, you know, contestants oh, losing yeah. weight, like either whether it was way too quickly or losing it in an unsustainable way. So, um, and they recently brought it back for another season, I they actually contacted yeah. me to be a part of the show. Well, of course, yeah. So, of course, um, you know, and and they a lot of what they were saying in this new season was like, we're going to do it differently. We're going to focus more on. Oh, I love that you're laughing. They're like, I, 
we're going to focus more on like, I, I can't remember. It was a few months ago, but like whether it's about the mental and emotional side, yeah. not just dropping weight quick. Um, how do you feel about that whole side of the show? Yeah, that, that pissed me off. I was like, yeah. what do you think I've been doing? Like what? Like, I mean, I, I can't, I can't speak for when Bob and Jill were going head to head season after season. And they were, they were like, I mean, that show was on fire. They were doing a fall filming, a spring filming. Um, it's a lot on your heart and soul. It's a lot of emotion. It's a lot of commitment. But I know I can speak from my experience. Like, I was at the ranch every day, no matter if we were filming or not. You know, Dolvet showed up for the camera. I never saw him on campus unless we were filming. And that messes with people. Right. That messes with the contestants. And I frankly, I would get in trouble because I showed up on the on the non-film days and said, oh, I'll just train everybody. Whoever yeah. wants to work out, red team, blue team, whatever team, let's just train. And then I got in trouble because then, it, you know, it, there would have been better drama had right. I not trained everybody, you know, like. I mean, it's TV. It's, it's, it's tough, but there, there was so much. It's not the real, there is a lot of reality in that where it's not TV and it's real, but what you don't capture is the, you know, hours after filming, we yeah. would spend sitting by that cool pool, talking, crying, sharing. Um, the amount of times I went over and like just they would cook me dinner because I was there all day working, you know, and they're like, cause, and I would go through the McDonald's on the way down the 101 and be like, I'm just going to get a large fry. I'm going to get home. They're like, no, Jen. And they would make they would cook for me and they would take care of me. And there was a really beautiful relationship and all the teams would sit together and at certain points there were breakdowns for each contestants and I was happy to be of service but there was always mental health there was always emotional care we had doctors we had therapists we had nutritionists did they just not show that side at any no it's just listen it's not it's not really the show's fault you've got 42 minutes you know when you take away commercials to show an opening a workout a challenge, somebody crying <laughs> in a big conversation and a weigh in, you know, that that's what we got. So it's like, to me, that's where I knew I couldn't care about what was on the show. I didn't know it was real. I mean, our nutritionist literally spent her Thanksgiving at the ranch doing Thanksgiving wow. dinner our last season. So they were loved and supported, but I will tell you it is. And I, and I can't speak for what's going on now. I don't know Steve, Steve Cook and Erica seems lovely and I'm obsessed with Bob, but you know, it's a difficult thing to pull someone away from their home, away from life. And it's really essentially rehab. So we're going to take away all the temptation of grocery stores, gas stations, fast food drive-ins, where you can get whatever you want and be in that impulse. And then what we're going to do is we're going to buy your food for you because we would grocery shop, but then they had to cook what they wanted. So now you have an environment where you don't have to work. You don't have to be responsible for your kids. You don't have to pay any bills. You don't actually have to grocery grocery shop or have temptation. You just have to be here, train, sweat, and stay. And so two things happen. One, they'll do anything to stay. I mean, I would sit by the end of those these these seasons and like make, watch them eat and watch them drink water and make sure. And that's from me, their coach. You know, making sure it's not about even just cheating the system. It's about are you nourished? Are you well? There's a reason why yeah. I never lost, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Like I took care of my people. But then what happens then is you take these people in this protective environment and we right. give them back home. And they've never worked any right. of those mental muscles around, I'm going to go, not because Jen's there, because I'm going to go. I have to now go buy my favorite fast food restaurant. I now have to skip my workout because my one baby's sick and my other kids got soccer practice. Like 
we don't prepare them for that on uh and, it, and it's not intended yeah. um but people that leave rehab centers right. relapse for a reason like you have to be faced with those mental uh workouts and we just we don't we're not able to do it in the in the yeah. way we've done it so you know i i don't know if i've given you too much or too little but it's it's a, it's really tough no i think it's great cuz this it, it kind of looped back to exactly what we already said of Fitness is not just about working out or eating healthy. There's so much more that goes into it. And it really is the mental battle that you have to win if you want to be successful. And, yeah. you know, and I always say this, and this yeah. is more in terms of working out, but, you know, your your mind will give out way before your body does, you know, when you're working out. Oof, um, but and well then just said. in general, like, yeah, I mean, it's like you said, driving by a fast food restaurant or, you know, place, your favorite one. And if it's a part of your routine and really you know, having that willpower and that mental strength, you know, and hey, some days you might win, some days <laughs> you might not. And just, you know. Yeah, you will lose. Like you will lose that battle. Like, I, I, and that's normal. I mean, I think that's the thing that people, if yeah. you're listening, like we all cope. Anna yeah. and I both cope in our own ways. I know I take crackers and I scrape them on a stick of butter. And when I'm stressed, that is what I do. Okay. Like, uh, it, and it's nothing that I've done wrong and I'm not a failure and I'm not an idiot and I'm not going to be, it's not like that's my death sentence, but we have to understand that there are ways to be honest with where your defaults are and, you know, understand there's a way to formulate a better coping mechanism, or I know I'm someone I'm better with help. I'm better with a teammate, a coach, a friend to help me just bounce things off of. Like, that's what I know about me. So Instead of like shaming, I, I just roll up my sleeves and get curious now. I go, okay, yeah. what was that about? That was, you know, that was a whole <laughs> right. stick of butter tonight. What, what's going on yeah. in your life, Jen? You know, and so it sounds silly, but it's the truth. So if someone was is listening that they're really struggling with the mental game, what would you say to them? How would you tell them to to kind of work beyond that? Or to what extent should they give in or shouldn't they? Yeah, I think that... Uh, where it really starts, um, you know, you think about all the conversation you and I are having, the amount of conversation you have with your husband on a daily basis. There's no more dialogue greater. There's no greater dialogue than the one you have within your own head. Yeah. And I think I would monitor those conversations. What What are you saying? What's white noise? What's the story? Are you assigning meaning to something now because something happened before? It's it's a it's takes a little more effort and a little more focus, but you know, live with your eyes open. Live with your ears open and listen to what you're saying, because I think that that's where you get all the clues, all the information. It's all within you. You yeah, just have to be absolutely. willing to listen and not just the good stuff, not the, hey, I got to the gym today. I'm brave. I did good. It's why did I skip today? Oh, because I'm going through a breakup and I kind of felt sad and I didn't really feel good about my body. I didn't want to tell anybody about it. Okay, that's good information, too. Either way, it's good, but you can't just pick and choose what you listen to your headspace on. Allow yourself to hear it all, learn it all, know it all, so you actually can be there for yourself. And once you start to do that, anything that like you're sharing, Anna, on your on your Instagram and all your challenges, like then it becomes, it's not just coming from you, it's coming through them for themselves because right. they understand it and they can interpret it. So it's... It seems a little bit, um, it seems almost like not too, not sexy enough to be cool, but that's, you have to listen. Right. You well, do. But I think that's really what's so hard is people want like the sexiest and most enticing advice and the, you know, in fitness and that's not where it's at. Like it's, it's in yeah. the balance and the moderation and that middle ground of not going to either extreme 
And people almost, unfortunately, sometimes have to go to those extremes to realize, mm-hmm. oh, this is not where it's at. I need to adjust a bit. Hopefully right. they don't slingshot to the other side because that can happen right. too, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah, it's all in the journey. Do you want to tell us what's the theory behind, idea behind your book? Oh, well, my last one or my next one? Ooh, both. <laughs> I know. Okay. So the, the, my first book called Diorite for Your Personality Type, frankly, I, you know, the original tile, title was Eat Right for Your Personality Type, but, yeah. you know, diet is a buzzword and uh, yeah. um, my publishers thought it was best, so that's fine. But yeah. um, I realized, I mean, we've been talking a lot about behavior. Um, we have all these specific diets out there that, that some people are like wildly successful at and people are wildly failing at. And it's because we're trying to formulate ourselves, our being our personality into the small category of the diet versus right. saying, wait, the only constant and thing that's not going to change is me. Why don't I formulate a plan around the human? Yep. So dieting right for your personality type is basically where I give you an assessment and a breakdown. I've got five personality types. Uh, I'm a, a everyday hero, but we've got organized doers. We have rebels. And based on that, I structure an eating uh, and nutrition plan based around that rhythm. So people that are like super organized, you're going to have times, uh, meals, snack stashes, everything's lined up. People that are my rebels that are super fluid and free, like my favorite people on the planet, um, <laughs> who tend to be actually more kind about their bodies and self-image are the ones that were like open their fridge and be like, pickles, orange, old celery, I'll, I'll fit, you know, so I have to basically allow them to go bowling, but I'm the bumpers that kind of keep them in the lane. So it's a way of basically honoring your behavior defaults and learning about them so you can navigate um, not only food behavior, but the emotional support around that. Amazing. So I love it. I'm obsessed with it. It's, it's one of the, my favorite things I've done. Um, my other book is more of a, it's a personal journey and it's called Table for One. Um, and frankly, Anna, I started writing a book about uh, like, I live alone. I have a bulldog. I make a lot of one person meals and I was going to make like a, like a cookbook. And then I slowly ever, I, as I started to write it and put it together, I realized, um, I can't, really didn't care about recipes and I cared so much more about the idea of cooking for one. And if like, you know, I had you and Luca over for dinner, I would burn the good candles and I would, <laughs> you know, set that, put out placemats and I would make something nicer. And let's say you say, Oh, Jen, we're just, it's a crazy day. Can we reschedule? I would not make the meal. I would blow out the good candles and I would probably crack an egg and have my, my cracker and better. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking, why is that? And I think that a lot of what we can learn as I kind of answered your question before is, is paying attention to if we sit down at that table or one, of, of one, what, do, what is there to learn about ourselves? Because I think we spend most of our days reflecting who's in front of us and that becomes our identity. And then I don't really know what's left. I don't really have confidence in self. That, that's where all the worth, everything comes from because we haven't really taken the time to develop it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's an important thing to kind of point out. So right. it's still in process. I mean, the title might even change, but yeah. I'm hoping to try to have it done in, within the next six months. Uh, don't quote me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So in 2020, hopefully somewhere in that timeline. <laughs> it probably will be published till 2021 knowing yeah. how the book game works, but right. you know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, my last question for you. Um, so the name of the podcast is Your Best Life. And the point that I really want to drive home is that there is no one best life. 
And what someone's best life is, is going to look completely different from the next person. But we all kind of have our own unique experiences that have led us to living what our version of our best life is. So is there anything that you can think of an experience or a mindset um, that has allowed you to live your best life? Oh, God, that's a great question, sweetie. Um, You know, for me, it was an accident. I, I thought I was living my best life. And, um, that's the scary part. I, as I kind of mentioned earlier, as humans, we kind of accidentally callous, we think we're at a 10 and we slip to an eight. And before we know it, we're at a six, but it still feels like our 10. And that was me living in LA. And I, and I ended up moving to Denver almost three years ago on accident. It was a, it was a TV job that I, yeah. I finished after six months. And I remember I was like, God, Denver, I mean, it's pretty, you know, but you know, it's slow. And I was like, I was like, I don't know. I don't really like it here. And I just was like counting the days till my lease was done. And then as I started to get out of my head about what things were supposed to look like and got to do what felt like me, I mean, my world, like my world opened up, you know, like I, <laughs> I always joke that my favorite thing about Denver is me um, <laughs> because I'm, I am like the Jenny that left Chicago before yeah. I did American Gladiators. You know, I'm, I'm kinder. I'm more thoughtful. I always thought I was a good communicator, but I'm like, you don't really listen very much. That's not a good communicator. You know, I've been able to shape and ripen as a woman and it looks nothing like any of my peers are doing. Um, I'm not on TV anymore, which I thought was part of my best life. I thought all these things that I had to do meant best and in a, in a way actually pulling back and actually shaping based on instinct and like what really makes me my heart sing, um, which you can tell your heart is singing when you're not anxious. You know, I think right. that it's not so much you feel like, you know, feeling good is, is like, I always joke, it's kind of like a great sports bra. Like you, you, <laughs> you can't really feel it, but you really feel supported, you know? Right. And I, and that was me. I'm like, I just don't feel stressed anymore. I don't feel anxious. Like I, uh, I, and it was just, it's been my best life. And I mean, I bought a home and I'm, yeah. You know, like I have neighbors, we have porch yeah. parties oh. and I get and I get invited. Yeah, just being like human and having that human yes. interaction and being in an yes. environment that supports that. And I mean, you know, we live in LA right now, but we're about to move and I'm so excited. And and I'm not I don't want to knock on LA. Like, you know, I have many friends that are from here and some people love it here and I have loved it here, but I am also excited about moving to a place where I feel like there's a bit more of a sense of community. Uh, you don't yeah. have traffic in the way of, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, but it, but I think that's okay. It's like the transition has to happen. I'm with you. Like some of my favorite people, some of my favorite experiences, some of my most diverse development as a human happened there. So I wouldn't trade LA for anything, but living our best life means being aware of what you need to, to pivot towards a, the next step. For other people, you know, whatever their version of their LA is, you know, sometimes they do have to go through kind of those time periods to realize like what is important in their life and what's going to allow them to live their best life. So Jen, thank you so much. Can you share with the audience where they can find and follow you? Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, all things Jen, just go to weederstrong.com uh, and uh, you'll find my workouts, my programs, my challenges. 
my newsletters, my free coaching, anything that you need from me, I got your back. Just go there. It's W-I-D-E-R-S-T-R-O-N-G.com. I know, very clever. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Jen. This was great, and we will talk soon. That was my interview with Jen Wienerstrom, and I am just so blown away that she has had a similar experience to me of not having insecurities that really stood out until joining the fitness industry. And like that hurts my heart because like that probably happens to everyday people too. Like you don't have to be a personal trainer. You don't have to be a fitness model or or on TV or any of these things, especially with social media, you know? And I feel like that's something that we need to be really conscious of and be sure that we're sending the right message that fitness is not about aesthetics. It can be, and there's nothing wrong with wanting right. to look good. And that is so important to say, but it just definitely should not be the only thing that you're worried about or the only thing that you're prioritizing. Your mental and emotional well-being is so much more important. And really that mental and emotional strength is what's going to carry you through your fitness journey. And I remember any- what led you to post the seating versus standing A picture was the kind of pressure right. that you were feeling from the fitness and social media industry yeah. at the time, right? That- yeah, that was like, what, 2015, 2016? Like, people post... Today, thankfully, you know, people post the Instagram versus reality to kind of remove that veil of the Instagram perfect, you know, feed. But back then, no one was doing it. And it it was something that I felt like, geez, all these women are perfect. I'm not perfect, <laughs> you know? Like, I know that I'm sucking in and posing and flexing in all these photos And that's not real life. And I hated that young girls were coming to my pictures and saying, you look so perfect. How can I be like you? And I was just like, "Uh, no, that's not me. That's like Instagram me, you know? And so, yeah, I decided to share sitting versus standing or just kind of post cheat meal bloating. And thankfully now that is a bit more common and widespread, but I Definitely don't think that we can stop there. We still have to go. And I think it goes for both boys and and girls. Absolutely. They both go through lack of confidence because of social media and this weird thing now you need to compare your body with someone else's body right and i love that you pointed that out because men get left out of this conversation a lot but men are not exempt from having their own body image issues and you know something else that jen said that really struck me was that the moment that her insecurities really came to the forefront were when her body And her fitness um, journey became less about her capabilities. It became less about performance and it was more about like, oh, you just need to fit into the size. And I feel like that's such a great example of why it's so important to focus on strength and endurance and performance in your fitness journey. Yeah, Like your fitness journey should not be about... Again, I uh, this is such a hard topic because I don't ever want anyone to feel like they can't want to fit into a certain size or that they can't want to look a certain way, but that shouldn't be the only thing you care about. Right. You should, if you really are wanting a sustainable fitness journey that is going to get you physical results, focus on your performance. And then the the look would be the cherry on top. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The aesthetics part is just the cherry on top. 
And if you focus on just, I want to get better in my workout stronger, faster, that is not only going to carry you through your fitness journey, you are going to get the physical results and mentally and emotionally, it is going to be a much healthier um, place to be in along the way. And more sustainable. Yes, absolutely. And that is it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to share with a friend, spread the word and help us grow our tribe. Please rate and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes each week. You can also follow us on Instagram and join our Facebook group, both under the same name, Your Best Life Podcast, to keep the conversation going. You can also send me an email at yourbestlifepodcast at gmail.com and you just might be featured in a future episode. Your Best Life is a Gallery Media Group original production.